Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Okay, we're going to continue and I'm going to try to finish up today on the question from March 24. We tried to handle the issue of the egos last week so we're going to, going to continue from there. So again we go to Mighty 24 Reading from verse 27 And the world said um, Let me just say the question from that place Very simple If you can screen it fine Mighty 24, 27 To 28 if you, if you can But the question we're dealing with is Jesus promised that his coming shall be like lightning that flashes across the sky from the east to the west. And then again in verse 28, he further said that wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be guarded. So the question is, what does this mean? This is what we've been dealing with. And... Um, so we last week like I said we, we dealt a little bit about the the egos and uh, we're going to be again looking at that surely the verse twenty eight that talks about where the carcasses are there with the egos were guarded. I did mention that last week I didn't mention this to you. When we start looking at the book of Job, and I try to make you see how the Bible said the eagle's nest is high up. I mean, the yeah, it's high up in the crevices, whatever, and you can be looking down in the eyes and seeing dead corpses, and then they'll come down where they find a prey. And I try to explain that the imagery that Jesus was putting forth here was actually in relation to the Jewish setting, which has to do with the old covenant that was dead and its people at a particular time. The Jews have degenerated. They've gone out of the way of the Lord. And I try to mention to you, even in relation to Mighty 23, when Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate. Praise the Lord. So here we're dealing with the issue of the temple worship that was to go and the sacrifices thereof to God. They were dead. Then we tried to look at the eagles. We got two figures there. The eagles coming on the dead. Carcasses. And so the Jewish state, Jewish economy was the carcasses that was dead. And then the eagles, I also tried to mention... They were actually the Roman soldiers, uh, whose symbol was also that of an eagle that was used by God to uproot many, even other nations too. But at this particular time, the evil generation, remember, Jesus was already referring to them as this evil generation. Praise the Lord. And so God was intending at that time to remove these people from the land. And I mentioned also that it's important that we learn from example of what happens to them. Praise the Lord. So I would like us to say here again that the dramatic images I will find here in the description of the invasion of the Jewish people as found in Matthew 24, 28 have a little called in scriptures. Frequently you find it in scriptures. So, 
You may find time to read Isaiah, because we can have this, we will show this on the board now. But if you turn to your Bible or you write it down, Isaiah 5, verse 26 to 29, we'll find that that was the invasion of the Assyrians of Israel. That is Isaiah 5, 28 to 29, for the invasion of the Assyrians of Israel. Praise the Lord. So why is this one not working? Okay, maybe it's just coming up. That's all right. Maybe we just uh, read it, uh, three verses of Scripture. Isaiah 5, 26. Let's look at it from 26. Bible says, We look up and assign to the nations from far, and we hear unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with peace sweetly, describing the people. None shall be worried, nor stumble among them. None shall slumber, nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loose, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. And verse 28 says, Whose arrows are sharp, and on their bows bent, the horses' hoofs shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a wild wind. And verse 29 says, Their roaring shall be like a lion, they shall roar like young lions here. They shall roar and lay hold of the prey, and shall carry it away safe, and none shall deliver it. Now he was speaking about Israel, what the Assyrians was going to do. Assyrian, where the roaring lion coming in, the prey has to do with Israel. Praise the Lord. So that's the Assyrians' invention. And um, you can just turn to Isaiah 13, verse 17. I want to give you a couple of scriptures with this particular image. Or imagery that you find from the Old Testament. Isaiah uh, 13, 17 to 18. And he says, Isaiah 13, 17 to 18. If you can find it in your machine. Uh, this is, Behold, I will set up the Medes against them. We shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Verse 18. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Now, these were supposed to be the maidens coming against Babylon. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So let's look at Jeremiah 7. Um, Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 13 And then 16 and 17 Again it says And now because you have done all these works Say the Lord And I speak unto you Rising up early and speaking but you had not And I call you but you answered not Now just go to verse uh, 16 Yeah Therefore pray not thou for these people, God was speaking to Jeremiah, neither lift up their cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Verse 17. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Now if you take time to go through all of this, you'll find that here again we'll find that the people of the north are going to come to invade. This is also Babylon against Jerusalem. So many of them you can find in the Bible. Um, let me take maybe one more reading. Let's go to Nahum, if you can find Nahum. Nahum chapter 3, look at 2 to 4, or 2 to 3. And then we just look at Ezekiel 23. Uh, maybe we can shut it there and progress. So Nahum, if you can find Nahum. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 2 to 3 actually speaks of the threats to Nineveh. Nineveh. That is what you find. The same city that Jonah was sent to. Remember? Nini? Praise the Lord. Okay then. So, you can just go. Uh, okay, let's look at Ezekiel 20, 23. I'm trying to show you the issue of this figure type of thing that God uses in Matthew 24. The egos and the carcasses. It has to do with the invasion of other nations. That's what I'm trying to prove to you. 
Ezekiel 23, we look at 26 to, I mean 22 to 26, you find the same picture. This one speaks of the invasion of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, just write it down. Maybe we'll read only one. But this speaks of the invasion of Jerusalem. And the Samarians with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the men of Pequa, Shua, and Kua, whatever. If you read it, you'll be able to see it's actually talking about an invasion of Jerusalem and about other nations. So let's just go now. Uh, let me take a final one from uh, Ezekiel 28, 7 to 10. Ezekiel 28, 7 to 10. He said, Behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee. I want you to know there were strangers. Uh, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their sword against the beauty of their wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. Verse number 8 says, They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Now, this is the invasion of the king of Tyre. Praise the Lord. The invention of the king of Tyre. God was saying, I want to take you out of the place. We're talking about your beauty or whatever. Uh, which has to speak about the, the, the glory that this king had. Because like I mentioned before, previously, Tyre was a very famous city. And the king of Tyre was a wealthy man. And that's why the Bible referred to him that that had been in the Eden of God. Been in the garden of God. Right? Right. Was a wealthy man, merchant and so on and so forth. So, that was just it. I'm trying to say when God talks about this kind of invasion, like you find in Mighty 24, He uses people. Anytime He uses people, they are described. They don't even, God doesn't describe them as enemies in that sense. He uses a, a language just to indicate of what He wants to do. But He uses some animals to describe the fierceness of the people that are going to come to do the invasion. Praise the Lord. Now I want you to get that. Okay, so again we'll find that the Babylonians, the very large degree, were the instruments of the hands of God. Most times, actually, like when it pertains to what we just read. Perhaps what we're discussing here can best be described, like we find in the book of Prophet Habakkuk, when he complained of the violence of the queer people as Babylonians. Let's look at Habakkuk. You should be able to find it in your Habakkuk. If you look at Habakkuk, you'll be able to find that. Um, but look at Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, but this is a little bit of a long reading. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. If you can get it. The body which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, has, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear, even cry unto thee of violence and thou will not save? Why did thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievances? For spoiling of violence are before me, and there are done red of strife and contention. Therefore the law is like, and judgment don't ever go forth, for the wicked doth compass about righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceeded. Behold, ye among the heathen, and rage, and wonder marvelously, for I will walk a walk in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. This walk that God intends to do here. Basically, it was not like doing something very beautiful. Anyway, let's just read on. Verse number 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. This is the Babylonians. When he talks about a walk I'm going to do in your days, man will not believe it. He wasn't talking about a miracle. He wasn't talking about something that was going to be pleasant. But he's saying, I'm going to raise up the people. And this is what you find. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, the bitter and hasty nation. We shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Did you get that? Praise the Lord. Go ahead. And he said, They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards. I want you to see the figure of animals being used. Just like you see the eagles. And the prey, the carcass. You understand that? Their horses also are swifter than the leopard and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle by hasting toward to eat. 
Praise the Lord. Then he said, verse 9, They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sop up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. And the verse, verse 10 says, And they shall scoff up the kings, and the princes shall be scorned unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. And then next thing, verse 11, where we stop. Then shall his mind change, and it shall pass over, and offend deputing this, his power unto his God. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, here is the Chaldeans, the Babylonians that came in for invention again. And you see the description given there talks about leopard, talks about eagle, and on and on. Is that okay? Alright. So again, uh, it is very interesting. I would like to read something for you to see in Jeremiah 25 so that you can understand. So, you see, why this is important for you to see is to be able to correlate the scripture that talks about He's coming in the clouds. I mentioned that the other day. Right? Very good. Coming in the cloud is not necessarily talking about coming in the atmosphere or at atmospheric situation from the earthly space. I remember somebody asking me that question a few days ago. He called me on the phone. What have you got to say about this? And as a matter of fact, he tried to take me off from the book of um, Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 9. It talks about coming in the cloud. I've explained that here. Remember that? Right, coming in a cloud and just took me up in the night on a phone call and said, Pastor David, what have you got to say about this? And I don't know, maybe somebody, maybe he got something about me or he had something during the conference and uh, he wasn't too, can I say, satisfied because of his mindset about the clouds. He's a pastor anyway. So, but I tried to explain and he could see clearly by the time I was done explaining. So when he said he's coming to clouds, he wasn't talking about coming in the empty space. He was coming through a people who are supposed to be the cloud of glory. Now, you want to ask me, what are you talking about? Are you there in the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 25. We're going to look at uh, verse 9 and then... Uh, what is that? But just put that first. Let me see. Uh, yeah, something I would like to see. Okay, so now, um, when I talked about that, because some of us will get confused uh, to begin to imagine how could God use people that are supposed to be enemies and He called them His cloud of glory. Is that alright? So, I want to read some scriptures here. Um, let's look at this first. And He says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, say the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, what did he refer to him? Now I want you to look at that. What did he say? My servant. And will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about. And now we utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and a hasten, and a perpetual what? Desolation. Now I want you to look at the A part, that's the key thing. I will send and take all the families of the north, talking about, remember, the northern, northern tribe and the southern tribe. Very good. Say the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my what? My servant. Anytime God uses a man, he, he does it irrespective of whatever you think about it, he becomes the servant of God because he's doing and performing the duties of God, performing the assignment of God. God wants to take away these people and he has to choose Nebuchadnezzar to do it. And he called Nebuchadnezzar what? His servant. That is what the church, I think, doesn't seem to understand too well. And I want to believe that sometimes God can even decide to use the devil to do anything. Is that okay? At that time, for instance, if you're going to pray against the Nebuchadnezzar here, what's going to happen? You can, you can do anything because he's, he's doing the duties of God. He's performing an assignment. There's no way you pray against the Nebuchadnezzar here. You pray against Nebuchadnezzar, you are praying against God. And you are asked, sure who is going to answer the prayer? Who are you praying to to answer the prayer? That's the point. That's why scripture keeps on saying, If a man's will please the Lord, he make it even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's not the issue of enemy. A cousin of mine, he was almost getting mad with me a few days ago. 
sent me something. You know, he'd been a Christian years, 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 you know, before ever I became one. And uh, he sent me this note talking about the best time to pray, midnight. Something prayed midnight, this one prayed midnight, this one's midnight, midnight hour, everything is midnight. That that's the best time to pray, and that's when you confront the enemy and all of that and all of that. I said, well, that's fine, my brother. Thank you so much for your concern about my life and telling us to pray at midnight hours. Where men sleep at midnight, the chief so tires. All of the scripture. Everything is midnight, midnight, midnight. And I said, well, I love one scripture too much. And the scripture says, the Lord give all the beloved good sleep. So I need my sleep. I don't need midnight prayers. <laughs> and he was mad at me. Why are you talking like that? This is why some people are not prospering. This is why they are not succeeding. This is why, this is why. And then, then I said, I'm going to let him now. I said, maybe to a large degree, who are these people you are always praying against? Is it you praying to get answers from God at midnight? Because when Jesus went to do his own night, he got the name of his disciples. So, what do you do actually when you go to pray on the midnight? Then he said, oh, remember Jesus had to pray on midnight because he wanted to go to the cross. As okay, fine. Now, did he still go to the cross? <laughs> Hallelujah. He didn't spend night praying, he didn't want to go to the cross. Now, did he still go to the cross? He went to the cross. Now, the next thing is this you need to understand the difference between the cross, this side of the cross, and the other side of the cross. Jesus did that on the other side of the cross. Agreed. Is that okay? Now, the next thing I say is simply one thing is sure. We don't believe. What our Lord is asking us to do. What did God ask you to do? Pray for your enemies. He didn't say pray against your enemies. So automatically we are not believing God. We, we are not believing God. We are not his disciples. Disciple is a man that believes whoever is following. He said pray, pray for your enemies. He said pray against your enemies. So how do you reconcile that? And the conversation ended. Because that's far off. Nobody wants to take that. Hallelujah. So when you wake up in the midnight praying against your enemies, for me, you're just wasting your time. You're just wasting your time. And you must understand who this enemy really is in the first place. Are they really enemies or they are servants of God? Because if you're going to pray against Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, you spend all your energy praying, the answer will not come. You're still going to go to Babylon. Praise the Lord. You still go to Babylon. So, anyway, that is just about that. I want you to understand. So, you can also take time to look at maybe chapter 6. You can look at 27.6. You can look at chapter uh, 6.43 and then 10. Anyway, just leave that. This one is enough for you. You can take time to study yourself. So, King Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant. And I want you to think about that. Yeah, so you can see here, very clearly that, like I'm saying, you, you can't bend God's hand with whatever you call prayer. You have to know His will. And pray. You see, Scripture says, if we pray according to His will, He hears us. What about if we don't pray according to His will? He will not hear us. Hallelujah. I gave you a scripture here some time ago, as powerful as Elijah was. Elijah was the one that said, rain, there should be no rain, and there was no rain. Remember that? And then he said, let there be rain, and there was rain. This is the man that said, you know, all manner of things happened in Israel, as powerful as it was. The Bible even said, Elijah was a man subject like unto us. Remember that? Very good. Now, can I show you a scripture? I think I've mentioned that to you here sometime. Can I give you a scripture that proves to you that if you don't pray according to the will of God, he will not hear you? Romans 11. Romans 11. Verse 1. Look at it. I say then, Paul is writing, Has God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. The gate of Benjamin. God have not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Will you not what the scripture said of Elias? That's Elijah now. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Look at the next verse. Lord, 
they have killed their prophets and dig down their altars and I'm left alone and they seek my life. Now let's get the answer to God. I mean God, God, God gave to him. But what say the answer of God unto him? Now remember that's a prayer. Not just a prayer, an intercession. And you know what intercession is supposed to be? Prayer warriors. Isn't it? So what did God say? What answer did he give to him? Where are we? Why are you flipping this? Keep it for me. So what's here the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. In other words, you have no understanding about what is going on. You think you are alone. You are not alone. Now, you're saying because you are alone as you kill the remaining people and raise up another people maybe through you. But I'm saying no. I have other people in Israel that you don't know about. So you find that the answer given to Elijah by God was a no answer. Why? Because it was not according to what? To his will. As powerful as he was. So if God, if, if you get crazy sometimes and God is sending a Nebuchadnezzar, don't waste your time. Make peace with God. Make peace with God. Tell Nebuchadnezzar to take it easy. Is that alright? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So, when we are talking about where the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. It was only given a further reason why the disciples should not listen to any false prophet at that time. And saying that they are going to be delivered from the judgment that was to come. That statement where the carcasses are, the good eagles were guarded, was like a sign. What shall be the sign of thy coming? Like we find in Luke 21, where you see Jerusalem compass about, know that the desolation is nigh. Did you get that? So this was a sign given to them. Now, it simply means the disciples of Jesus at that time, they truly understood what Jesus was talking about. By implication, here Jesus was saying, Israel as a nation is dead. The invaders are going to come, and you are not going to stop it. So for your own sake, I'm telling you this, so that if anybody comes to tell you, that maybe, yes, a prophet telling you not is going to happen. Don't you just believe that. Run for your life. Praise the Lord. In other words, he was simply saying, do not expect any deliverance of the Jewish nation, for it is devoted to destruction. God has mapped it out that is going to destroy them. You find that in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26, the B part. It will tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26, you can find that to read it. It said, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city. The people of the prince that shall come has to do with the Romans. With General Titus. Praise the Lord. And the end thereof shall be with flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. God is saying, I'm going to destroy the city. So now Jesus was making reference to that when he was speaking in Matthew 24. Praise the living God. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Now, you remember the parable? I mentioned that to you sometime. Parable of the fig tree. You remember that? The fig tree was the house of Judah. Hmm? And now they will present the kingship and then we'll have the priesthood. Now, when he said, no man should eat of thee, what he really meant to say is, henceforth, everything about the old covenant is dead and gone. No man should eat of thee. That's what he meant to say. And the plant died from the root. So the foundation, and that can take you back to the temple. Because that's where the priesthood actually has stronghold. 
The tree died from the root. The fig tree. And you must understand that fig tree is a symbol of religion. All true scriptures. Take time to read it. Fig tree is a symbol of religion. That is why you find that when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They plucked fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Religion. Huh? Are you with me? Yeah. So, when God said, No man should eat of thee anymore, it is absolutely clear that he was saying, The old covenant is dead. And all the operators of that system that was dead are supposed to be dead together. They have to go together because they are hanging on to that which is dead. Praise God. Are we together? Okay. So, in Daniel, like we just said, we are saying here, Jerusalem and the evil workers thereof were to, to God already as the dead carcass, which the Roman eagles will soon devour, will soon eat up. Praise the Lord. Let's look again uh, the book of Luke. Uh, can I look at that? Uh, let me see if I can pick it up for you. Oh my God, where am I here? Very quickly. Luke 21. Let's look at 20 to 24. You can take any translation you want. Okay. 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that a time of the destruction have arrived. In relation to Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. The B part. Did you get that? Good. When you see Jerusalem. Now I want you to understand this. When you see Jerusalem. And this is one of the scriptures I gave to the person that was asking me this question as well. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. There you will know that the time. Thank you Lord. The time of its destruction have arrived. Sorry about that. Go verse 21. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. This is New Living Translation. And those out in the country should not return to the city. So it's like you left the city for farming, don't come back. Because there's going to be any room for escape. Praise the Lord. Verse 22. For those will be, I mean, those will be days of God's vengeance and the prophetic words of the scripture will be fulfilled. Verse 23. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land, a great danger or great anger against these people. Just hold on here. This is, this is why, this is a part of the scripture also I gave to the brother who asked me the question. When we were younger the faith, this is part of the scripture given to us in relation to the rapture. Matthew 21. Two shall be on the bed. Two shall be on the field. Right? The question I was asking even at that time, even though my eyes were not yet opened as a young man in the faith, was, does it mean pregnant women will not be able to make the rapture? Because it said it's going to be a terrible time for them. Especially those who are pregnant and those who have babies in their hands. This is simple. What the Lord is saying here was, the time will be so rough and tough that it will be difficult for you to run as a pregnant person. Do you understand that? That's what the Bible is saying. What of us who know nothing about the Nigerian civil war? It was a horrible time for a woman to be under pregnancy. You understand what I mean? You can't run. So that's what I was saying. Even if you take time to read it, say, pray that your that day be not a Sabbath day. You know why I was telling them that? Because in the first place, you as a Jewish man, you're not supposed to walk certain kilometers on the Sabbath. Because that is walk. And on the Sabbath, you are not supposed to walk. So pray that your escaping time will not be on the Sabbath day. Because the law in your mind will be restraining you. 
So when people teach this and say there's a rapture, the question is, how does this relate to? Are you saying God is going to discriminate against women that are pregnant? That you can't rapture them? Or nursing mothers? Can you imagine somebody who just gave birth maybe two days ago and there's war right now? How is that person going to take this young baby and be running around and all of that? This is what the Lord was saying. That's why I talk about terrible time. And this is what often they refer to as the great tribulation. Great tribulation have nothing to do with Sundance coming tomorrow. Not at all. They experience the great tribulation. Actually, the word tribulation, pieces in the, in the Greek, speaks of pressure, calamity. I mean, just go down, take your uh, strong concordance and check out what the word tribulum, tribulum, tribulation really stands for. And you'll be able to know. Praise the Lord. So it was a time of great tribulation for them because they have to find a way to escape. And the Lord told them, you better run out of the city. Don't come back. Don't you come back because there will be no room for escape. Praise the Lord. Now, but there's something that want to happen, actually, when the Roman soldiers came in. And it's like some of the, the saints were trapped in the city. Miraculously, you know, they besieged the city for a long time. You can come out, you know, walled city. You can come out, you can go in. So there was famine, there was trouble, and all of those, those things. And all of a sudden, there was an information from Rome, wherever. There was commotion, and then the general withdrew his people. And the saints were able to notice that the generals have withdrawn from besieging the city. So they came out and they ran to, I mean, city called the Pele or whatever. So the truth is. Everyone that had Christ and that believed in Christ never perished in Jerusalem. Only those who never listened they were the people that perished. As it was in the days of Noah, same thing. Only those, and of course we do know it will have to do with Noah his family, they never believed him. And those who never believed Noah, what happened to them? They all perished in the flood. Same thing that happened in AD 70. Praise the Lord. And so, I want you to understand that when we talk about the carcasses and the eagles, we are actually referring, I mean, in the case of the eagles, we are referring to the Romans that gathered in Jerusalem. Um, they were the eagles, and the carcass were what? The Jewish people at that time, which was in AD 17. Praise the Lord. Babylon also understand they died in millions in the hands of the Romans without escape, except, like I said, for the believers. Who follow Christ and understood the sign. Praise the living God. They were able to understand the sign and then they followed the sign and they left the city. As soon as they withdrew, they were able to escape. Only those people. So, mighty 24 verse 28. For where, where, where save are the carcasses? Are the dead carcasses, the Jewish nation there? Who were morally and judiciously dead? There with the eagles be gathered. So, Again, we mentioned that the eagles here is referring to which people? The Roman enemies. So-called, partly because of their strength and their fierceness. They were powerful people. They were strong people. They were one of the strongest armies in, in, in the nations at that time. Praise the living God. Amen. And also because of the... Uh, you see, they have this eagle sign. Uh, have you seen that? Yes. You've seen that, right? Very good. So, uh, two things made the description to fit into the Romans, like we are saying. They were strong and, you know, terrible military setting, and then their sign was that of an eagle. Praise the living God. Amen? Alright. So, I think that is what I have for you, just to answer that. So, notice that it's very remarkable that Romans... Fury pursued these wretched men wherever they were found. Outside of the destruction of Jerusalem. In fact, I mentioned this to you some time ago. The Jews really suffered not just only with the Romans, but you realize that. Even Hitler. You know the story? What Hitler did to the Jews? You know the story? Good. Because of that single word of prayer that they gave to Jesus. May his blood be upon us and upon our children's children. See that? Praise the living God. Okay. So, they were 
like a dead carcass anywhere they were found, doomed to be devoured. And the Roman soldiers, the eagles, were the one commissioned to devour them in this instant that we're dealing with. Praise the living God. So, sometimes I used to ask the question Are we seeing anything around us? You know, today, is God saying anything to us about the present system of things politically, economically, and even religiously? Is there anything God is talking to us about? Hallelujah. Sometimes you need to be able to be sensitive to what God is saying about the nation, the economic situation, the political structure that is going on. Every child of God should be able to have some insight as to what God is saying. It's very, very important. Very, very important. Yesterday I had a strong body. Maxwell was trying to talk to me in the evening. All of a sudden I find I could no longer communicate. I told him, I need to shut down. I need to go into prayers. Spend some time, you know, and I was able to find one or two things the Lord wanted me to really talk about. About this nation. And then uh, at about 4, 4 a.m. There about 5. I was up again. I just couldn't think of anything else. But to go back to prayers. You, you live your life. Being sensitive. To the season that you are in. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? Praise the living God. So sometimes we go to see. And see the kind of God hard writing on the wall. In relation to not just your nation, even the religious system. Even the religious system that we seemingly believe in. We also need to think about it. Where we are right now, in the body of Christ, what do you see as a believer? What do you think God is saying about the church today? I mean, do you really think this is a church that God ultimately has a mind to raise? Think about it. What is God saying? Because remember... These people were more or less the beloved of the Lord. They were worshippers. But the system was dead and God wanted to change the order. But they would not want to make a change. They would not want to migrate to another season in God. Hallelujah. And sometimes you realize that when you don't move from where God really wants you to move from, and God is intended to destroy that system, there is no option but for you to be destroyed together with the system. If they have moved on when God was moving on in Christ to a new season, they will not be destroyed. All those who believe in Christ, they moved on and they were not destroyed. But those who hold on to, they held on so strongly to the old covenant, they want to stay there, that's what they believe in. What happened? They perished with it. Sometimes God could be speaking to you and God is trying to call you to, your, to himself. It could have a reason you may not understand. But the point is, you should be able to know when God is pulling you from one level to another level. If you don't move, and God is intended to destroy the system that you find yourself, you end up destroyed together with that system. He uses a people. And more often, not even though you call believers. He could use men who are not believers, like we find in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, to do what he wants to do. He just wants to have his way. And if it's done with a system, you don't have any right, you don't have any desire to hang on to that system that God is doing away with. Hallelujah. And that is why people should be able to understand what God is doing in this particular season. You as a believer should be able to know. You hearing my voice should be able to know. What season are we in God? That's the key point. So that you move from the season that you are to the next season that God has in mind. You don't just remain there because you say, well, this is what I believe, this is what I believe. This, just like we are discussing all of these things. I know some of you, so many of us have always believed this before, in a way, in relation to what maybe is going to happen tomorrow. But we know from Scripture that it's not talking about that. It's not talking about what's going to happen tomorrow. It's talking about what happened some 2,000 years behind time. Hallelujah. Are you with me? No, so you need to understand this. Now, you can sometimes you can't even say this to people who are called Christians because they will say, Man, this is heresy. Man, this is Antichrist. Praise the Lord. But the good news I have for you is this men are beginning to embrace this truth. Amen. I continue to get emails, I continue to get notes. Men are beginning to embrace this truth. 
So, it's a joyful thing. But not just that. We have to move again and again from one level to another level because God is not just satisfied and going to end up with what we have. After all, we do know that there's a dimension that God is bringing the church into. You understand that? Praise the living God. I was sharing with them a few days ago, speaking to some guys, and they were asking some questions. I made them to understand, as good as it is to be in the church system, that was Sunday anyway, when I went to the other place to minister. I made them to understand. You look at the book of Revelation chapter 12, you'll find that the woman that had the 12 stars on her head, brought for the main child that was to rule the nation, with a rod of iron. How I many of you understand that? But again, you need to understand. The rod of iron had nothing to do with killing people on the head. It was a shepherding rod. Is that okay? Right. So he's talking about the rod that leads people even to God. Because they shepherding people into God. So, but the point is this. It's not the woman that was going to rule. It's the man child from that woman. That means the church is going to produce another church that will have dominion. Did you get that? So, if you are satisfied with the present church system, you might not be able to be in the company of the man child that God intends to rule the nations of the earth. So, there's another face. Therefore, we can't be satisfied with what we have. Are you following me, Pastor? We can't be satisfied with what we have. There have to be the hunger to drive us into somethingness. Let's think about that. It's so crucial that you have to understand what I'm talking about. That the man-child that is coming to rule the nation is not the woman that gave birth to the man-child. That woman that gave birth to the man-child was protected, was preserved. You understand that? Provided for in the wilderness, but that is not where the authority was going to be. So sometimes again you find that with all the prosperity we have, that is not where the power lies. So God might be blessing the church, prospering the church, feeding the church, but a man child is going to come out of this same church and not the church itself to rule the nation. It's going to be another company of people. And you find the same thing. Now, let me give you a simple illustration of what I'm talking about. You see the disciples of Jesus? They became a kind of a man-child company on the day of Pentecost. Did you get that? Remember, Jesus had a lot of disciples. But only 120 were baptized by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And this 120 came down and they were different people. Completely different from the rest of the people. You follow what I'm talking about? So a man-child company was born out of the early church. You need to understand that. Because there were several other people who were believers. Because God is right. Praise the living God. The twelve that were with Jesus were a type of a man-child within the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody just sent me a note today. He wants me to go teach on kingdom structure and citizenship. And I was so glad about that. We need to understand that even, I'm trying to give you something to think about. As you have the, listen, you have the 12 tribe in the wilderness. That was the church. Is that okay? Good. But within this church were elders. From each tribe. Did you remember that? And within the church also, you have the Levites, different from the elders. You understand what I'm talking about? Within the company of the Levite, you have the high priest. He was a Levite, but the high priest. So there's a structure. Now everybody was not functioning at the same level. Are you there with me? Very good. So even though we are a royal priesthood today, there is still a structure. And the church finally will give birth to the man child that will stand on his head to demonstrate what God's intent and purposes really are. For now, I will say, this church, present church, present day church, is in the wilderness. 
And so they have all the prosperity. Because in the wilderness, you lack nothing. How many of you understand that? Wilderness, I have only been telling you, it's not just a time for trial, or processing, or whatever. Wilderness, a time of prosperity. Because when the church in the wilderness was in the wilderness, remember that, they had food, manna, they were not working for it. Their shoes were not worn out. God was their shoemaker. Their clothes were on. Are you there with me? They were not naked people. All through the wilderness, they have provisions made by God. So prosperity today is a symbol of the church being in the wilderness. But this wilderness church is going to produce a man child. You understand what I'm saying? So we should look beyond what we have right now. As good as that may be, we don't have to remember when they went to Canaan, God said, no more manna, you got to walk. And that's the man that's already getting matured. Hmm? You feed babies, but men walk. So when they go to Canaan, go walk. Manna sees. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Oh yes, it's producing, there's fruit in it, but you have to go plant the farm. You have to go even do, what do you call that? I don't know, be farming because you can't get honey in your house. If you need honey, because the land flowing with milk and honey, you have to go to the forest to get the honey. Huh? Very good. So that's a mature company of people. So Canaan speaks of maturity. Is that okay? Therefore, we need to come to a place of maturity. And God is raising the people. God is raising the people. Praise the living God. That are going to be strong and powerful on the face of the earth. Not just what we're doing now. Much more than this, God is raising the people within this church that is going to use to accomplish His will and purposes on the face of the earth. And scripture will always say, creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I love you. Thank you.